myself again. Welcome to the family with Alex Brampernard Rasmussen. The very tired and sick to death of my dog, Catherine Brandt. <laughs> and Andy Brampernard. On the Tom Bernard <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So there you have it. <laughs> Well, I did get a hear... dog. They said it'll be fun. They said. Yeah, <sighs> I heard him a couple of times, but not as loud as it was before. No, and he didn't have to have the number twos either last night. He only had number ones, and I think what it was is he wanted to get up and have some dinner because I hungry. have been denying him food because of his gastro. Oh, God. Gastro. What is it? What is the Gastrointestinal Three upsets. full nights of not being able to sleep is... Yeah, it's pretty much... I did hear a bit of it. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Also, but, I've been tossing and turning. Is is Elon Musk buying Twitter or not? What mm, is happening in this world? I heard he's turning to. about Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm <No>. Just kidding. <laughs> you do love Twitter. Well, so, all of a sudden he's he's buying he's it again. Back on it. Yes. Yep. Fifty-four all million. So that's ten million, ten billion, billion, ten billion more than original. Yeah. Why is I he guess. paying more for it <laughs> when they were lying to him? Anybody? I think he might just want to. Get rid of it, basically. It's so harmful to a Man, lot of people. Wants, it is if very he wants harmful. to throw away $54 billion, <laughs> to destroy Twitter, I'm you can just yeah, toss some other people's way. I think there's more th important things to do with all that money. But that's just me. Is any are, are any of those services any good? I haven't been on social media in nine or ten years. So, I, Well, I was on Twitter. When he first announced he was going to buy it, I was on Twitter for one day, and I went, no, nah, I still don't like this. Goodbye. 
No, you were on Twitter for a while. <clears throat> in, in the beginning, you really... In the very beginning yeah. of the show, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. When we all told you to ago. get off of Twitter. You had all your Twitter wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were having Twitter wars. I wasn't having Twitter wars. I told people to shut the hell up. I'm That's here not for a Twitter the wars, huh? puppy and the kitty fights. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's this Budin... Budajibiden? Um, Budajid? Buda... No. Budin Jibiden. Um, I follow on Twitter. It's usually just all animals being funny. <laughs> very, very, very cute. It's one of my favorite things to check out every day. That's um, puberty pets on. Puberty pets? Puberty <laughs> pets. I know. Name. It's a That's terrible a... name. It's a terrible so name. So is this one. But yeah, puberty pets on Instagram. Fantastic. Is it? Yeah. Well, okay, they, they might be on Twitter too. I'll look. Puberty? Much. Like puberty. Puberty? No, like. P-U-B-I-T-Y. Puberty. Pets. I know. I don't know hmm. why it's oh, called that. Oh, they're on here, too. I'm following. Oh. Posting the best animal videos on Instagram. <coughs> See, Instagram. That's, why That's the deal. But they have, they have another one. Uh, must next plans apparently include an everything app on the heels of Tesla slash SpaceX CEO's renewed offer to buy Twitter. He references X. Uh, with Elon Musk's plan to purchase Twitter apparently back on, he's now teasing uh, his next movement. It sounds just as ambitious. Those intentions came after, uh, well, via a rather cryptic-sounding tweet on Tuesday, and speculation on what he might mean is already making the rounds. Buying Twitter is an accelerant to creating X, the everything app, the uh, Tesla and SpaceX CEO wrote. Without elaborating other than to muse on a, a timeline, Twitter probably accelerates X by three to five years, but I could be wrong. He does that all the time. He, he's very cryptic the way he speaks, and it gets people very wound up and excited and gets him even more attention. He's a salesman. Oh, people were throwing huge fits because he, he, wanted, he had some little questionnaires about what, what we might be able to do about the Ukraine and Russia and having mm-hmm. peace would be oh, a really yeah, good idea. Right. People started it, hacking they were so him. so mad about that. It's like, what's Wait a wrong minute, with they were taking him on what? He wanted, he was trying, he was just throwing out some ideas for like peace negotiations between oh, Russia yeah, right, right. and the Ukraine. And people were just acting like he just stabbed babies in the streets. Yep. Why? I don't Why know. Why wouldn't you want peace? Because I guess there's something in it for somebody well, to a, not have a peace. A lot of people, they just want Russia <clears throat> nuked. And destroyed. You don't That's want to be looking at anybody. The only thing that'll make them happy is the complete destruction of Russia. Okay, what I my question is, okay, so Putin has been in office for how long? A long time. <laughs> Why long, is it so time. very important this moment to keep poking a bear that's got nukes? Why is it so important right now? I don't understand it either, Catherine. I don't understand any of it, to tell you the truth. I mean, well, first of all, I have never, it has never been more apparent, I guess the best way to put it, that politicians in America are the filthiest human beings on earth. Well, that's All been established, do, but I just don't I know, but understand yes. this. It just doesn't make any sense. Why would you sit there and kick somebody that's got nukes? Because well, be I mean, money in it. for the average person, just because they're morons and that's what the news tells them. News <sighs> says this guy is bad, therefore my entire existence is based on proving how bad he is. <sighs> and, and then now OPEC is now, now going to cut production of oil? Yeah. Just to get back at us for what we're yep, doing to that's Russia. Correct. That's correct. This is not mm-hmm. working out very well for people. No, it sure isn't, but they're going to keep doing it. But And it is all about money, is it not? It, oh, yeah. Oh, tons of people are making a lot of money. Tons of money from this. How do, how do we get in on that? 
As long as we're going to suffer, how do you get in on it? You'd be on the yeah. upper echelons of society, unfortunately. Like oh. Could you imagine with my, I guess, skill for BS and along with the best of them, how much money I could have made as a politician? There's still time. We'd be multi-billionaires. Time. You're pretty young for, compared to the average politician. Yeah, you'd so. be yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. Dad, there's time. Yeah, you're a baby compared to Pelosi and Biden. Mm, I couldn't live with myself, though. I know. You have to be a literal sociopath in order you to do, do what yeah. they do. That's exactly right. Well, did you see this latest law they passed in California now? <clears throat> Which one? Apparently, uh, because it was harming people of color, it is now uh, legal to jaywalk. That oh, only they've been talking color, about that forever. Yeah, I mean, this is like a 20-year argument, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Only people of color are being arrested by the police for jaywalking. That's what they're claiming, well, which is complete. California, I mean, they're what's ridiculous. All insane. I don't know. I have no idea. I, all I know is I jaywalk all the time, and I don't care about it. I never all. jaywalk. I do. Never. I rarely do. If I'm downtown and I have to cross the street and there's nobody around, yeah, I'm going to cross across the street. I'm not going to go to a... I mean, if it's a busy intersection, I will go to a crosswalk. Not Mm -hmm. that people stop for people in crosswalks. No. No, that's true, too. No. No. (laughs) So, I mean, you're taking your life in your hands either way in a busy intersection because a lot of people won't stop for you. No, that's very, very true. Today was weird, by the way, because as I told you, on uh, Tuesday, there was so much traffic at 4.15 in the morning, I couldn't even believe it. Got tailgated all the way into work. This morning, I saw one car the whole way in. What is that? And today, the parking lot is packed out there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Must be some event or something. What is it from day to day that traffic, no traffic? I don't get it. school's back in session, so that has something to do with it. Because some schools are out, you know, start super early in the morning and some are out early and some start later and then they're out later. So there's a lot more traffic just in general in the mornings and in the afternoons. But I think a lot of office people have had to go back maybe two or three days a week or something like that. Yeah, it is amazing on 494 in the last three months how much traffic has changed. I'm pretty sure that some people have been called back into the office. Yeah, they have. I don't know what to tell you about this whole day. Why do you think it is, though? And I, you know, I guess I've asked this question before, but I still have never gotten an answer, and I do not understand why people just want to spew and puke up their hatred so much right now. It's not let's try to get along. Look, I don't like the way you're treating me. Let's try to get along. It's I don't like the implication of the way you're treating me, so I hate your guts. It's what happened? More fun mm. that way. Yep. That's what I always say. But it's very destructive. It's super destructive. And I do think social media has a lot to do with I it. I do too. Because people look at that stuff, the first thing they go you know, in the morning when they wake up, they start doom scrolling. Yeah. And then they're all mad about whatever they saw in the morning. And then before they go to bed, they're doom scrolling. During the day, they're checking for doom scrolling. And then they're just mad all day. They just can't separate. <clears throat> How stupid all of this is yeah. from everyday life. Yeah. Shouldn't you have to pass like an IQ test to get on social media? I don't think we're going to be able to get that done. Why Probably not? Well. That would be... <laughs> I just think it's... Just... That'd be a lot of work. Who's going who's gonna to do and that? All the new IRS agents? Wildly of, discriminatory. A yeah. a lot of IQ tests. Yeah. What do you mean? Why? That's not discriminatory. You have to qualify. Well, because... Well, nobody wants that because there's not... They just want everybody that they can on there so yeah. they can sell stuff. Well, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Money. Everything's well, about I, marketing. I, all of this is marketing. That is marketing. Every, every bit of single it. thing is about marketing. Everything is marketing. It is. 
What's that uh, news service? Uh, God, I can't even remember the name of it. It's a news service that they just released the facts that they looked and looked and looked and hunted and hunted and hunted, and the Bidens have no connection whatsoever to Russian business, and they need to stop saying that they do, which is a flat-out lie. Everybody, even the Bidens, admit they have connection with Russian business. Everyone I always does. thought it was the Ukraine that they were involved in. In the first place. Uh, and Russia, too. Oh. <clears throat> Everyone has some tie to Russian business. Cause and Russia's China, a by the way. big country. China's what? the big one for the Bidens, though. They're, they're connected several ways. Well, yeah, matter, matter of fact, Joe Biden's admitted it. Hunter Biden's admitted it. Ja- James Biden's admitted it. But these, these news publications keep saying, no, they don't. Well, it's just like the <sighs> Feeding Jesus. Our Future thing in Minnesota. Yeah, um, there's no problem. They all of a sudden just are not the Feeding Our Future. The... Daycare scandal. Oh, yeah. That all of a sudden was just put to rest by somebody yeah, in office. They were just like, no, it never happened. It's fine. And how many millions was that? Uh, at least 150 that they know of. 150 million. That they know of. It's just gone. Yeah. I think one person went to jail for that. That's, yeah, well. One the, person. The collapse of the, uh, collapse of the economy in 2008, one guy went to prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one. housing market crash. Yeah. <laughs> what? I know. Yeah, it was one guy's fault. He did the whole thing. Can you You're imagine being right. that scapegoat? Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, pal. And you know that there's thousands yeah. of people involved in it, you're but the you're, only the, one blamed. you're the guy that's got to go to jail for everything. Wow. I believe we have Jerry on the phone. Ready to go. Good. We may be get a good laugh out of this. I, we need a good laugh right now. There's no question. Jerry, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Tom? So I'm just. We're trying to figure out why people are. are I can understand some anger, but why people are so hateful right now, I, Jerry? It, it it really bothers me. You know, I can understand why people might not get along, but that hatred comes out in a, just a blink of an eye, doesn't it? What's that all about? Well, I think I, I think it's promoted. First of all. I think that the racial problems are a big part of it, and I think the hatred and the anger is coming from the black people more than the white people. I think they're, they want vengeance of some kind, and they've delivered it to their children. And it is true that uh, they, they have a, just, a justifiable reason uh, for a lot of things. I knew a cop in my hometown, and he, uh, he showed me a glove, and this glove had cement in the fingers, a black leather glove with cement thrown into the fingers. And he says, <clears throat> we picked up uh, some guy and they wanted, he says, I'm ready to quit. I'm, go- I'm going into something else, because the cops hit him so many times and so hard with this glove that I remember my friend using the word, his head was actually misshapen. Oh, so it's a God. two-sided, you know, so it's a, it's a, they've always hated each other for a while. I think that's a lot of it. I think, I think when people pick up the paper or listen to the radio and they hear the policemen are getting shot, uh, I think that frightens them. So there's a, there's a mixture of anger and fear all swirling around. And I think it's these guys uh, like uh, Al Sharpton. I think they make a living off of it. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? A big living. And, uh, you know, it's not in their best interest to create harmony. Nope. 
No, it's exactly it, Jerry. You're absolutely right about that. Ladies and gentlemen, HBO documentary films George Carlin's American Dream from Emmy Award winners Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfilio. The two-part documentary explores Carlin's tumultuous life and enduring legacy. I got lucky uh, because I've been doing the same morning show for 36 and a half years in uh, in, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul here. So I got to meet George a couple of times, had him on the air a number of times. You could not have met a nicer man, at least around me, Jerry. He was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Well, he was my best friend. And we were partners together in business, and, uh, you know, I managed them. Uh, I came from a promotion background. My dad was a big band promoter. Oh. And that's how I got in the business. It didn't start. It didn't start with comedy. <clears throat> Excuse me. It started with country music. The uh, funny thing, when my father was 16 years old, and that was right at the bottom of the depression. His junior high, his junior year high school class uh, voted him to voted him, wanted him, to, you know, to go find an act for the school band, for the school dance. And he uh, he did some research and he found a guy in New York, a great agent, Willard Alexander, and he sold him uh, Jimmy Lunsford. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but it's street music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was really nice to my father. My father was just a kid. And uh, the agent told my dad that if you can uh, fill with Sunday, this is on Saturday night, I'll give, I'll give them to you for 150 bucks instead of 300 they were they were getting for the Saturday. So my father went to Buffalo, and he found a bowling alley that had a big, big ballroom like upstairs. And he got 150 bucks from his father, who was making 12 bucks a week, by the way, uh, in the Depression. And uh, he put on a show, and he made $1,600, which was like, God knows what it would be like today. He immediately quit high school, bought himself a pink suit, and a white convertible. <laughs> and, and he had the nerve later on to tell me to study. But anyway. <laughs> well, okay. You know, so, so anyways, he's, he's running around, he's doing big, he's doing dances. And uh, do you know what killed the big bands? I'll give you a little trivia. Oh, I love that. By the way, I should mention, Jerry, my mother was a huge Glenn Miller fan, and I've been a big band fan since I was about two years old. Well, do you know what killed it? No. In other words, the jitterbug. People used to go to these, you know, like you say, Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, to these people, and that was the way they'd meet each other, and they'd slow dance. Nobody was Fred Astaire, but they'd talk, (laughs) and they'd make dates, and that was the way it worked. As soon as they started, people started jitterbugging. It frightened the rest of the crowd away, you know. Really? Uh, it, it, room. It's too bad, because I still listen to it sometimes, and I, and I love it. Oh, it's great well, music. Yeah, it is. Anyway, uh, at the same time, about 1950, uh, there was a fellow from Nova Scotia named Hank Snow. And Hank Snow was a singer that got hot in the early 50s, and he, and he became 
uh, a substantial part of country music. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's dead now. And by, by the way, a very, very close friend of mine died a couple of days ago, Loretta Lynn. Oh, we, we, yeah. Uh, yep. Sorry, sorry about we that. She was wonderful. To me, she was wonderful anyway. But uh, anyway, there was... Uh, this singer, Hank Snow, and believe it or not, well, in those days, you would understand it, country music, if they gave you an hour on a Saturday or half an hour at five in the morning or something, was a lot. And they just didn't play country music much on the radio. Mm -hmm. And it was radio that fueled that business. They didn't know any promoters. So they got a hold of my father. Somebody mentioned his name to him, and he uh, promoted Hank Snow, and Hank Snow sold out all the Canadian cities that were right next to my hometown, Rochester, New York, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right across Lake Ontario and a right. lot of cities, and they did great. You know who the opening act was on the show? For Hank Snow, what year were we talking here? 1951. Uh, could it have been a man who died at a very young age? They found him in a car? No, Elvis Presley. It was uh, Elvis? Really? Ooh, great story, Jerry. Uh, Elvis Presley for 75 bucks a night. Colonel Tom Parker had to be some kind of a musician because in his life he only had three people that he managed. He managed Eddie Arnold. Now you might, I know you're familiar with him. A oh, lot yeah. of people might. Eddie Arnold sold as many records as anybody in the business for years. Mm -hmm. And then he wound up with Hank Snow, who was a very hot attraction. But ultimately, you know, it was Elvis Presley that, uh, you know, he really got on top with. He was a compulsive gambler, by the way, the colonel was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, kept, he kept booking Presley into the MGM Grand in Vegas. <laughs> and, and, and by the time they left a two-week engagement, uh, he'd be paying them instead of them paying him. Oh, yeah. I, I understood he died broke. So that's that's pretty weird. And I also understand he had 48% of Elvis. Yeah. Uh, these are sources. Can you imagine? I don't, know, I don't know why the hell Elvis would give him 48%, but he did. Yeah. Well... I'm getting away from my subject a little bit. Uh, so anyway, I grew up in country music. My dad played everybody. He played the Nat King Coles and Ray Charles. Sure. And, you know, jazz bands and this and that. But as far as touring, uh, he would go and he'd take 15-day uh, country music tours. He, he did 17-day tour on Hank Williams Sr., where he had to drive to Nashville, found him in a bar with his band. They used to drive these Fleetwoods. They'd strap the bass on top of the car, <laughs> oh, and away they would go. And my father says he he, he made 17000 on the tour, a 17-day tour, and he says money meant a lot in those days. A buck was like a 9 by 12 rug. And he says, if I had to do it over again, I never would. He made a deal that Hank would sleep in the same hotel room with my father, and my father would have to lock him in at night because he would get he would get back from a gig, 
and his wife was playing around. He was playing around, and he had you know they would they, they would do the show. They'd pack up, they'd go to a ham and hagger, and then they'd go to sleep. And they, some most times they drive to the town they were playing, and he he would you know Hank Hank Williams weighed about eight pounds. The <laughs> <laughs> little guy. I I don't know what drug he was taking. But my father thought, you know, he had a reputation for drinking. He was doing a hell of a lot more than drinking. But he uh, he he would get into the hotel room about midnight national time, one o'clock in the east, and he'd call his wife, and she would be out doing whatever the hell she was doing. And then he was a nervous nervous wreck all night long. He'd be walking, and my father trying to sleep. And this guy is walking across the, the room talking to himself and making phone oh, calls. Oh, God. And, and then he died that following uh, January. He died on New Year's Day. So, I mean, our roots in country go way back. I had, I had Patsy Klein uh, stay over my house when I was 16, I think. God. And I was a... Uh, Real well, we have a vending route for so jukeboxes. I always got all the old records, and uh, you know, I was just a, a music hawk. Tom here with my good friend, CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, I was out in Maple Grove the other day, saw your new branch that's under construction. It's looking great. Thanks, Tommy. We're very excited to open our new Maple Grove branch in the Arbor Lakes area later this year. Well, the way I do math, that's the sixth North American Banking Company, and you only have five fingers. How'd you get to six? I used my computer. <laughs> we better not ad-lib. All right, we won't ad-lib. Never mind. People will... Well, well, you're not mean. that good at it. Oh, yes, yeah, that's true. That's, right you know, we have locations in Roseville, 50th in France, Hastings, Woodbury, and Shoreview. One thing I like about being a North American Banking Company customer is I can do a lot of my banking online or on your mobile app, but sometimes it helps to go in and talk to one of your friendly bankers in person. Everybody loves when you visit, Tommy. We hope to see you in Maple Grove soon. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. My father had Patsy Klein on, on the road with Wet Pierce, who was supposed to be the star, except everybody was showing up for Patsy because she had eyeball the pizzas. Uh, anyway, they had a couple of days off, and her and my mother had it off, and they went shopping, and she stayed over the house. One morning, she comes. I had met her. She comes bouncing down the stairs, very lively, energetic person wonderful person and I gotta tell you she looked like Frankenstein <laughs> she had gotten she did man she, she got well, she did sad. I love that uh, she got into a car crash uh, about a year before 
I think a, a truck hit her, one of these hillbilly deals, and the scarring was horrible. And she was getting ready to go in and do surgery. And when she got home, a few months go by, more than that, maybe a year, she went down in a plane crash uh, with Haw Cowboy Copas yeah. and Hawkshaw Hawkins. Anyway, when she was in the kitchen, I was excited to meet her. And, you know, just talking, I'm sitting at my own kitchen table. I said, so what's your next record? She says, oh, it's crazy. I says, okay, well, what's the name of it? <laughs> I told you, crazy. Uh, I says, come on, you're pulling out. No, she says, this is crazy. Willie Nelson wrote it, and uh, it wound up being the hit of her career, and it's like in a top three country music. Mm. Didn't dry. Songs of old time, you know, of all time. So, oh, God, uh, great song. I'm just trying to tell you how deep the roots were in country, and for years, uh, up until 1980, I was on the road. We didn't fly. I didn't go in their bus. I had to drive a Lincoln or something because we sold program books, and we'd throw them in the back, you know, in a trunk, and we tried to keep the mileage down to, like, 300 miles between shows, so I'm driving. <laughs> I'd be driving in the winter behind a double trailer truck, and, I, and I'm saying, oh, Jesus, I can barely see. And yet I'd look on them like we had Mondays off usually. I'd look over in them little houses with the smoke coming out of the chimney, and I'd say, those bastards, they're watching, they're, they're watching gun smoke. And I'm out here chattering in my car, eating pretzels. I love Gunsmoke. Oh, Gunsmoke's a great show. You get you, 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 that is a fact, Jerry. That is a great show. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I did this. And it was hard work. It was very hard work. You'd have to take care. I took care of the promotion. I'd have to go in there and organize the show. Don't ever, ever, ever try to rehearse a country music act. By the way, really? Never. Why not? Never. Why? Because they get all screwed up, and who stands over here? No, I want to be over here. You can't play that song. I was thinking about using it. I've been through it twice. I'd never go through it again. It's, uh, I, I had Ronnie Millsap in Cleveland on a theater and, a theater and around. I had 6,000 tickets sold, and the other act was Crystal Gale. Well, Millsaps, people get in there first, and they spot his piano on a stage. And uh, then I get somebody from Crystal, who I knew Loretta so well, and that's her sister. And I went in, and uh, she wanted to see me. She said, Jerry, do me a favor. I'll come back and play this show for nothing in two months or something. Let me go home. Let Millsap do the whole I said, are you crazy? I got 6,000 people waiting to see you, too. <laughs> oh, God. He says, he says, I can't work with him. The where he put his piano is right where I walk back and forth. And I, and I just was pleading with her. And she says, all right, I'll do it. But I hate that son of a bop. You know, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm up in this country music, and I'm really getting sick of it. I'm getting sick of uh, not the music so much, but the driving and the yeah. work involved yep. with it. 
was, and, and I got offered uh, a, a main, good main headliner in country music wanted me to manage him and, and manage. And uh, I didn't want that because I knew in Nashville you had to go out on the road on Thursdays and you had to be back in the office on Monday at noon to pay him off. This leads into George Carlin. And now, I ladies quit. and gentlemen, HBO documentary films, George Carlin's American Dream. Jerry Hems, our very special guest. I cannot wait to hear the story, Jerry. All right. Well, here you go. I got to a point where I hated going out on the road, and I had a few income properties, and I didn't want to go. And anyway, my father was the type that you put all the money in a big dish and throw it up in the ceiling, and Jerry got to keep what stayed there. <laughs> so I wasn't happy at all. And uh, I could live very well without him. Not, you know, uh, palatially, but I was okay, and I was a young guy. Uh, he couldn't rest until he got me back in that business. He, he would go to my mother and say, talk to your son. What do you want him to grow up to be a bum? <laughs> I resented that, by the way. <laughs> Just because I could sleep till noon and he couldn't, uh, that was my business. But I had really paid my dues in country music. <clears throat> and uh, I quit. I, I just wouldn't go out. Well, this went on for about a year. And the reason that I told him probably the biggest lie I ever told anybody, I said, you know, I love working for you. Well, lightning ought to come out of the sky and hit me in the head when I said that, because I hated working for him. And uh, he was tough. He was difficult. And it was tiring and wearing. I just didn't want any, more, any part of it. I said, you know, I'm a northerner. They're all southerners anyway. You know, it's a different it's a different world. It's a funny it's a funny deal. It's okay. I did it I did it for fifteen years for you and I just wanna jump. Uh and I hate to travel. I hate to travel. Well he couldn't rest and he did a show. He comes to me and he says, I did a show, a partner, a country show and Toledo, Ohio, and the guy in Toledo played this comedian, and uh, he sold out two shows with him in two towns. Uh, he didn't show up. He was loaded, but he did sell the seats, and I can get us Syracuse and Rochester, my hometown and the town 90 miles away. You wouldn't have to travel, at least not much, and... Uh, I think he'd be worth taking a shot. See what he's trying to do. He's trying to suck me back into going on the road and working on the business. Right. Uh, I put up the shows. We sold out four shows in two days. Now, here's the funniest part. Jerry Hems managed George Carlin for 35 years, was so immersed in country music. When I played him, I had no idea what George Carlin did. <laughs> I had no clue at all. <laughs> Is that funny? That's phenomenal. <laughs> so I'm in Syracuse. I'm in Syracuse, and uh, George walks in. It's the first time I ever saw him. He walks in with the uh, typical road manager, you know, with the black leather uh, 
bag looks like a purse loaded with his drugs. And uh, <laughs> I'm not used to that either. And he walks up to the dressing room, and I say, Hi, George, I'm Jerry Hamza. Hi, hi, Jerry. Uh, we're going to have some good houses today. I says, by the way, the Syracuse Herald Journal would like to interview you. And he said, why? Is, this, is it my birthday? <laughs> you know? God. I says, I guess we're not doing an interview. So he does the shows. And in the middle, you know, people were throwing joints up on the stage oh, and all that. God. And every, every once in a while, he'd pick one up and put it in his pocket. But he'd be doing a bit. And because of the pot and the beer and everything he was doing, he'd forget part of it. And he'd walk around the stage looking at the ceiling, and then it'd come back to him, and, and he'd finish it. Well, that was the first two days. And we sold them out. A month later, I had five more dates. And it just grew from there on the promotion levels. It had nothing to do with management or television, movies, none of that. It was just promotion at that time. But what was happening was George's career was going in the sewer. He had done, he, first for two reasons. He had done three very, very strong albums. And he would he would uh, do Carson show maybe six nights a year, and that was great. But then the album sales started falling off uh, badly because at that time in history, you know, the long hair and all that was starting to change. Steve Martin was showing up. Mm-hmm. Who, who ever heard of a comedian doing 12,000 people in an arena? Which right. Unheard of. And meanwhile, George was home in California. Excuse me. I get dry from taking medicine. I understand. And uh, he would be laying in bed. And he'd be so loaded, he'd trying to sleep it off. He'd sleep all day with it. He certainly wasn't working on any comedy. If he did, he'd have to go out for a couple of days. And uh, when I would take him out where we we weren't doing any business, you know, nobody gave a damn. He's mm-hmm. out there. Uh, we're doing like a 1,000 people in Chicago uh, at the McCormick Center. You can barely pay for the McCormick Center with a thousand people. Right. So, so we were doing lousy there for about three, four months, and he said to me, "You know, I got to get a manager." And I says, "Well, are you asking me?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "I think we'd be a hell of a team." Uh, he knew my sense of humor was a little fucking weird too. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, a little, Jerry. <laughs> So anyway, that's how it started. And uh, at first, it was very, very difficult because my, my first thought was, well, I get him some interviews, let people start talking about him anyway. And we got to get some product out there. So he, uh, you, you know, would go do the shows. We still weren't doing any business. We could barely pay for the opening act, which was a thousand bucks a night. I mean, it was a struggle flying the, the whole deal. But, uh, you know, I had a few ideas, and then I, 
he George is going to do a movie for HBO called The Illustrated George Carlin, which would be George doing vignettes and mix it in with stand-up. Do maybe a 10-minute vignette and then do 10 minutes of his act. And then Richard Pryor beat him to it. <laughs> you know, Richard did that show where he burned himself up right. and all that. Yep. George had been working with some guy that was a supposedly he thought he was uh, Metro Golden Mayor or something. Uh, he never produced a movie in his life. And George's wife found him. And they hired him for three years. And they never paid their taxes. They wound up in a rut that they never really got out of 100%. It was just horrible. I know they never shot one bit of film. It never happened. Uh, and then that, that's what hurt him. Anyway, fortunately, the, he had gone, not him personally, but he had gone to HBO, which was in its beginnings. It had about 40,000 subs. He probably got 40 million today. Yeah, right. And they borrowed 40 grand uh, against the next show. Except there was no next show because the comedian that was supposed to be writing this show and performing the show was stiff as a board in a bed in Brentwood, California from all the drugs he was doing. God. Jeez. But I, but I needed the... I needed the the 40000 to just get things started, it wasn't that much, believe me, in the scheme of uh, planes and everything else. Well, we did an album called The Class Clown. Uh, not A Class Clown, I'm sorry, A Place for My Stuff. We did it in New York City. And uh, the guy at Atlantic that was going to give us an advance, I went in there in the morning and he says, I'll give you 300000 but he didn't know that our figures had dropped. He called me in the Park Lane Hotel on Central Park. I was laying there, and I was smiling because we got 300 grand coming. <laughs> sure. And he, he, says, he says, we've been looking at these records lately, and we don't want to do the album. I says, why? The, the advance is too much. He says, yeah. I says, well, we can drop that. You know, see how desperate I was. Well, he says, I don't want to insult you. I says, go ahead and insult me. <laughs> so he offered us 50 grand for the uh, album, and we went over to the Atlantic. He had got a perfect uh, a place for my stuff piece out of Vegas, and he always taped them. And he took that to the Atlantic Studios near Columbus Circle in New York, and we had an album. We weren't going to make any money with it, to speak of, but right. at least we had a little exposure. My next move was to go to, uh, you know, the radio stations and get interviews and newspapers, anywhere I could get an interview. The problem with that was they didn't want to talk about comedy. They didn't want to talk about uh, George or his life. What do you think they wanted to talk about? Drugs. Drugs. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what will he talk about his experience with drugs? Yep. Well, I gave George a list of about it. I made a mistake with him. I didn't know him that well. 
I gave him a list of about 10 uh, interviews, and that just about made him want to go hang himself somewhere. <laughs> he didn't want no part of that, and he didn't show up for any of them. Oh, so lovely. Nothing, nothing was going on there. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Tom. No, I was just going to say, this is a fascinating story because basically I don't think the average person listening right now has any idea. They just think that somebody comes along, writes a few jokes, and they go on The Tonight Show or Ed Sullivan back in the day or today, of course, all the different shows are on. They just think that you write a few things, they happen to hit, and everything's rosy. Well, that's never that easy, ever. No, George said to me he was a writer number one and a stand-up number two. I mean, if you couldn't write stuff, George had a great filter, an unusual filter. And the funny thing about people, just the general public, I'd put on these shows, and the people would tell me over and over and over again, you know what I love about George? He thinks just like I do. (laughs) And I think to myself, you crazy fool, this guy's got 170 IQ. You couldn't think like him if you put your head in a lawnmower. You know, I mean, it wasn't going to happen. But they thought that, and he had a way of connecting with, you know, normal people. And uh, he had a, George had a vulnerability about him. It's a funny thing George had. If Rodney Dangerfield or somebody else, started putting down the audience like George would do if he got this, mm-hmm. they'd walk out. For George, they just say, ah, that's George, they laugh like hell. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Well, anyway, uh, when I took over, we owed 40 grand to HBO on a show. So I explained that to George, and... He had a tack room. His daughter was into horse riding, you know, at his house. And he turned that into an office. And uh, I went out there one day, and he was working on a list of 2,000 filthy words. He understood that that he was going to have to do something, or his career was going to be shot. And he was writing them down and writing them down and writing them down. I had it in my head that I wanted to put him. I'm from New York, remember, from Rochester. Yes, sir. And I've been in the business all over the place. I wanted to put him in Carnegie Hall. I love the alliteration of Carlin at Carnegie. Mm-hmm. So I went and I booked the um, Carlin Hall, uh, Carnegie Hall, I'm sorry, on a Sunday, which, which expense wise is murder. But we were between a rock and a hard stone. I mean, if we didn't go out, we were dead. And uh, we, you know, we didn't know what, we were, we were just taking a shot. We went, we went into New York, did the show, and barely scraped by. You know, I went back for more money to HBO and the guy that ran HBO, Michael Fuchs, loved George and he was a smart guy. He had the only network where you could swear at the time, and here he had the comedian that uh, built his reputation on swearing. You know, it was wonderful for him. Anyway, we do the show, and George, we, we, we couldn't do a safety show. In those days, you used to tape and then tape two shows, edit the best of them, and make a show. But we could only get 
Carnegie Hall for that one day, Sunday. You can imagine the stagehands, Bill. But anyway, we got done with it, and George was disappointed with it. He thought he could do better. But we they put it on HBO, and George went through the roof. And it uh, made him uh, HBO's fair-haired boy for the rest of his life. We did a show every two years, and uh, he did fabulous for them, and they did fabulous for him. And that's what we would do. We'd get down to a pattern where I didn't want to do it in a year. I didn't feel like we had recovery time. He was prolific enough, but you got to give, you know, leave him hungry. And uh, so every two years we'd go out. He'd get bored with the show after about a year and a half, but he still had to keep going. He's very perfectionistic. He'd want to get every common goal and right <laughs> so we do the shows and uh, they were great great audiences then we started doing them live from new york and that was another level that we hit that was great now george uh george's wife wanted him to do movies like robin williams or crystal mm-hmm my father once told me, if you ever want to see how fast George Carlin can run, point a camera at him and scream at him. <laughs> George wanted no part right. of that. And on a couple of occasions, I put him in little stuff, uh, you know, just to see if anything could happen. And he, you know, George could have been a great director. I believe that. But but he, the problem with that he had he had the, the uh, organizational skills, the eye, he had it all. The problem with it, it never happened anyway. But I thought about it later. If we had done it, he didn't have any experience. It wasn't a field where you could just grow into a dream. You know, you had to go and uh, hit it out of the park right away. And if it didn't work that way, that would be the end of that. So we can he didn't like it anyway. He wanted he wanted to keep doing what he did. He liked the high wire thing. He was a non collaborative artist and he wanted to get up there and he wanted to say what he wanted to say and he said it in a brilliant, wonderful way. Um, I'm a fly fisherman, that's why I moved to Maine. It's the only sport I was ever any good at. And uh, I was up here in June. That's the best month of the year to fish up here. And very similar to Minnesota, by the way. Yeah. And uh, I got a phone call from his girlfriend that he had died. I, I could sit and tell you heart stories and heart incidents, hospital incidents, medical, all that, for an hour. But what it boiled down to was he, he, had, he had a great heart, just the arteries were no good. His yeah. father his father was named Patrick, and he was 55 years old and dropped dead in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral oh, God. on Fifth Avenue in New York. So George did beat his father by... Uh, 16 years, but I think he inherited his father's arteries. 
And I don't know, I think he had three angioplasties, God knows how many angiograms, and uh, stents, double stents, to keep himself alive. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it worked, it worked, it worked. It did indeed. pretty awful being with somebody like that and being 3,000 miles away looking forward to a vacation and get a phone call that your partner died. Yeah, no question. <laughs> Jerry, we're going to have to book you again sometime. We ran out of time here, but we'd love to have you back on again sometime if you're available. You, uh, I'll make myself available for you, Tom. I like I like the uh, interview. You're terrific. Well, it's very nice. I want to give you a big compliment. It might not sound like a big compliment to you, but I mean this sincerely. Talking to you and listening to you, you're the male version of my mother. <laughs> you really? <laughs> and, and that's a big compliment, Jerry. That's a big compliment. All right? <laughs> All right. Thank I, you. I'll think it that way. I'll right. think about it, but I'll think it that way. No, it's a great compliment. Thank you, Jerry. Have a good day, well, sir. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Well, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales, leaders go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there, in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant jerry hamza ladies and gentlemen george carlin's american dream directed by judd apatow and Michael Bonfilio um, uh, debuted. Sorry. What? I'm sorry. I'm just like a little brain dead. Keep going. No, I was just didn't mean say. to interrupt you. Actually, it says here that it will debut on HBO on Friday, May 20th. Is last that last year? May? Well, we had his do- George Carlin's daughter yeah, on right. the podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think it was for this. I think it was. Wasn't I think it? Or was it a book? But see, I love guys well, let's like. Let's find out. I think you can learn more by listening to a guy like Jerry Hamza 
yeah. than most people because he just sure. laid it out there and is like, hey, this is the story. If you don't like it, tough hop. Yeah, I hated it, but I had to do it, and that's yeah. just how it was. We were in debt. We Didn't to... that remind you of Toots, though? Yeah, yeah. or her vo- his voice, yes. Let me tell you, this is what happened. We should maybe pig- piggyback the um, episodes with his daughter. And... Oh, that's a good she idea. She's on episode 2170. When Let's was that? See. Uh, that was in May. So that okay, was in May. That makes last total May. sense then. But hey, I don't care. I thought Jerry was wonderful. I love listening to old showbiz guys and women talking about showbiz, all the rest of it. He, you know, could, you could tell his heart was in it. Well, I, know. I, I was going to ask him about when he said that he was a country western act promoter. I was thinking, did he know Loretta Lynn? And he said that right away. Yeah, he did right away. Yeah, he said he lost a good friend. Loretta Lynn, I believe, was 90, wasn't she, Andy? I think. I think she was maybe even a little older. 92, maybe? Yeah, she was... She I only was, got to talk oh, to no, her. she was 90. She was 90, okay. I only got to talk to her one time, interviewed her one time, and she's a really nice person. What musical genre do um, people last to 90 usually? Well, that would be country. Country western. Country western. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, there's a lot. Johnny Cash was a big drug guy. Oh, God, yeah. A lot of them are drug... Well, back in those days, a lot of people were just... They were just alcohol. Yeah, well, the 60s were just drugs and alcohol Mm. all the time. But he did throw us that curveball, which out of nowhere, he just goes, and that effer. (laughs) I know. All of a sudden, Jerry dropping the F-bomb. Oh, Christ, I think... I See, I I enjoyed that tremendously. Listening to a guy... Now, does it say how old Jerry is anywhere? H-A-M-Z? No, I tried to find out, but I couldn't. You can't find out how old he is? Because he does sound like he might be approaching 90 himself. You think so? Which, see, well, I, I mean, love... God, he was talking about uh, his dad was born during the Great Depression, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or before the, I mean, before his dad was like, yeah. started working during the Great Depression. Right, so probably so, yeah. born about 1900. You probably, yeah. Probably, I would guess. Wow. But see, just listening to, to older people, like, and I think we've lost that, that people don't care what old people have to say anymore. And I, that couldn't, is true. I couldn't disagree more. I think listening to old people tell stories is one of my favorite things that, that, to go through. Yeah, there was a thread about mental health and how you should be spending time with people that are 20 years older than you. Yeah. And, tw- you know, depending on your age, of course, 20 years younger than you. Yeah, you should be fifteen-year-olds. I should, don't know if I well, want to do that. Well, I mean, that. if you're like forty, <laughs> then you spend time around yeah. twenty-year-olds, and forty-year-olds should, you know, it just—it's trying to bridge the generation gaps because right now we've got all of that. You know, baby boomers are annoying. Yeah. Our our neighbors, our neighbors' niece, told her that she can't wait for the baby boomers to die off so that they well. can do things the way they want. And her own mother is a baby boomer. <laughs> well, I told yeah, you. It sounds like she's so, in uh, I mean, But that's kind of like everybody's just like that's, you know, right now division between mm-hmm. every group of people is yeah. just real, yeah. real intense. And mm-hmm. it's just really sad that that's the way people feel about things. So many years ago, several decades ago, when I was 20 years old, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a very, very bright man. Did I, did I talk about this yesterday? Or was that on the morning show? I don't know. I, think? I was, I think, it was the, I think it was the morning <laughs> show. But um, but I was talking to him about this, that, and the other thing, and he seemed kind of depre- a little depressed. Um, and I, Andy, I didn't tell the Great Depression. I mean, excuse me, the, the, uh, the greatest the, the greatest American story yesterday, did I? I don't. No, I was on the so. morning show. Good, because it kind of fits in with this whole deal. But I'm talking to my friend, brilliant guy. I mean, really, really smart guy. And he was kind of depressed one day. So what's the matter with you? He said. 
I I just you know I gotta believe because this all these people coming back from World War II, the men and women come back from World War II. They've already referred to them as the Greatest Generation. Then years ago, Tom uh, years later, Tom Brokaw wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. Right about that, he said we're going to have a massive problem uh, in our age group because how do you follow up the Greatest Generation, mm. right? And he was absolutely right, because now you skip another generation and you get on to the to, to the uh, millennials, and now even a, another generation past that, they think that we're the biggest morons ever born. Yep, Gen Zs. And he predicted that 50 years ago. Well, he said all that's young going people to happen. think old people yeah. are dumb and stupid because that's see just, we you know. didn't after World War II though. Well, I mean I was born way after World War II, but but the kids who who were born after World War II. We actually did look at that generation as a bunch of heroes. We absolutely saved the world. Yes, well, they did. Oh, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, whatever you think about Tucker Carlson, I, saw, I just saw a promotion. I didn't watch the show. But there's some, he's going to do some sort of a in-depth documentary about how men are losing every 10 years or something. Like I said, I'm very tired. I have not slept <laughs> in days. June does not sleep So right I'm, now. I'm probably going to get this 50% wrong. But he was talking about every 10 years, men have been losing testosterone levels. Yeah. Like oh, a I, lot, significantly, really? mm-hmm. which might be one of the reasons why there's so many infertility problems here on planet yeah, America. And, um, planet America. Planet America. <laughs> well, yes. it is our get own planet. Sleep, it is our own planet. But they were. he was talking about how he was showing all of these super heavy, very obese men sitting there eating, you know, like junk food garbage mm-hmm. and sitting there playing video games, staring at their screens. Right. Well, it's because of lack of day. exercise and it's because of obesity. Both of those things disrupt hormone levels. And I know there's a big documentary about um, plastics causing. Like yeah, yeah that's, been, yeah, that's been around right. for a long time. Yeah. But they were showing about, you know, like when there used to be all sort of sorts of fitness classes mm-hmm. in school and people were actually doing things that were very difficult that we would never even expect kids to be able to do anymore. You know, the right, obstacle courses that are difficult, not like, oh, gee, I have to jump over a yeah. tiny rock and say yay. You know, I mean, it was actually difficult stuff. That was my gym class. <laughs> and I remember seeing uh, another photo of just uh, all, it, it was a crowd shot of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody were, most people were in their, you know, like bikinis or whatever. And they were, I mean, people were thin mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. were, they looked like they worked out nonstop. But they didn't. It was just that we used to be able to ride our we used to ride our bikes to see each other and walk for a long time. And I think after all these maniacs started kidnapping kids, yeah. parents wouldn't let them ride their bikes over their friends anymore. And everybody was taken by car to every every place. And I mean, even going shopping, you don't even go to a mall and walk around and shop anymore. You do well, it yeah, sitting on your ass. Watching a screen. Yeah, the invent of so much media has just made people so sedentary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, instead of... sedentariness, it's a real problem. Well, Tab, you've been noticing this about, I mean, a lot of women. You just walk around in big crowds, and you're just like, 
I mean, it's not just people are big. Mm-hmm. People oh, yeah. are really, really big. Yeah, really yeah. big. They are. Biggest that in my life. Yeah, and I, I, I used to notice that it was women probably just because of, you know, sexism in the world. Yeah. Because, you no, know. Statistically, it is mostly women. Really? It seems like there's a lot more men these days, too. Well, let's I see mean, here. It's Jude, just, you got a good spot. Oh, Jude. He's mad at he's me because like I won't give him cash. He's also like, I'm sorry, I've been keeping you up for days. <laughs> Women are end. almost twice as likely to be severely obese than men. Now, why would that be? Is well, it because I mean, of birth control? The birth uh, control they have today? That could be part of it, honestly. Yeah, Not could really, because be. I know people that don't take birth control that are hmm. large. Well, I'm just trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, but I mean, women just their bodies are more likely to gain weight and have a harder time losing it than men. But why is it, like, so prevalent now? Is it because women are moving around less? I mean, pe- I mean, they've got kids. They've got to run around after kids. You'd think that would be some sort of activity. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The vast majority of people in my life are not overweight, because no, I'm just saying in general. I'm not yeah, saying I'm just, anybody no, just, in particular. No, I know. I'm just saying it's hard for me to have an answer to that because I don't know very many people that are overweight. You know. Well, you like said I, your kids go to a private school. They have recess. They have two recesses a day, two 20-minute recesses a day, and they have <clears> gym <throat> class twice a week. And I think that I think that they've removed recess after second grade or something like that in public schools no every all i know all bloomington public schools have two recesses up until fifth and then after fifth they don't have recess at all anymore silly but fawn and sage's school has recess fifth through eighth i stopped having a recess at seventh grade seventh grade yeah yeah okay well i don't even know why there should be lack of recess at all i mean even if you're a high school student you should be moving around you would think but i know because we had gym class like what once twice a week once a week because i I know in in asia they have office breaks where people have to stand up and do some jumping jacks and move around like regularly yeah it's like it's three hours you've been sitting get up and move around well Mm -hmm. even fawn's class her teacher she's like every time we go out for recess i make all kids before they're allowed to play run two laps around the entire yeah. that's a really good thing. idea she's like because it just like gets out immediate energy that yep. just well they think need about, to think, get out yeah we I, have oh. wendy on the phone no. wendy's here Anyone hello yet? how's everyone Back today marvelous i just uh like i said i i just talked to the male version of my mother so that was good <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, you were right. I kind of laughed when I heard him. I'm like, yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> but the, really um, I think uh, one of the things that, you know, you were talking about why kids don't like bike, or, you know, everywhere. Right. Alex had a point. Part of it is due to like media, social media, but not for the reason she thinks. Because back when I was a kid, 11 million years ago when I had a dinosaur for a pet, um, it, it was a thing where we were very naive about, you know, we ride a bike over to a friend's house. I used to ride a bike like into town to high school and I was like five miles and Mm -hmm. it was like not a big thing, but now we have to think about, um, you know, who's, 
who's looking out to kidnap somebody. You know, once they started publicizing a lot of the serial killers, you know, as it were, or disappearances or stuff like that, people got more and more afraid to send their kids out alone. And I know that that's true with mine. I mean, we live in a neighborhood where, you know, I will buy a treadmill for my daughter rather than have her go walking around in the neighborhood. I see what you're saying, yeah. I don't. I don't feel safe out there. And I mean, you know, we had to call 911, was it last week, I think? Uh, because at like 10 o'clock at night, we heard somebody, I mean, we counted it off. And my husband said, hmm, sounds like somebody just emptied a clip out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the sad part is, I guess I wasn't really even shocked by it. You know, some people would freak out, but it's like, well, they're not pointing in our direction. You know, and that, that's a that's a real break in the naivete that we all used to have, the, the feeling of safety. I don't yeah. think a lot of people feel safe anymore. Well, you know, it's like Chris sure. Rack said, you know, pretty soon it comes down to kids hopping around in a circle in the front yard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I, and that's very sad. That's a very sad statement of affairs that should just not happen. We shouldn't be afraid to leave our homes. Oh, we shouldn't be afraid to oh, let yeah. our kids bike to oh, yeah. school. It's, I go running, and I always have a personal mm-hmm. alarm and a thing of mace on me. That's good. Yeah, that is. And you a gotta, dog. you got to do it. Mm-hmm. People dogs, think they can do whatever yeah. they want. That's the problem. They keep being told by our you know, wonderful states like California where everything that's wrong is legal. Uh, so mm-hmm. they think they can do whatever they want. There was a guy in the, in the subway system about a week ago beating the hell out of a woman. That happens all the time. And uh, guys would come over and then they just run away. They wouldn't even help her. I don't get that. Well, because you don't yeah. know who's got a gun. You don't know who's got a knife. Yep. You don't know who's absolutely psycho mm-hmm. crazy and mm-hmm. is going to. Well, I mean, if someone's yeah, willing to hard. attack a random person on the subway, then they're willing to attack me as well. Yeah, so. it's, it yeah. sucks when your first instinct has to be like, okay, I have to assume this person's crazy. Like, yeah. I yeah. was on a run last summer, I think, and there was a person passed out on the trail. Oh, and I, God. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it and Dan? I didn't. It was Dan. <laughs> and it was a big. It was a bigger person. Um, it was a woman, though, right? I think it may have been a trans person. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'm just. I'll say it would they. probably be. They. It would probably be me if they were. If they were passed out on a running trail, it'd probably be me. Because if you see me running, there's got to there's be well, an ice cream truck ahead of me people, or a clown with a knife behind me. People hike on these trails, too, and walk and stuff. So this person was probably just out on a walk or whatever. And they were younger, I'd say mm-hmm. mid to late 20s, passed out cold on the trail. And I was like, I can't go up to this person and... like too close Mm -mm -mm. because what if they're faking right and attack me you know like this is the where my brain Mm -hmm. has to go Mm -hmm. and so i i tried to talk to them didn't respond and then they ended up having a seizure and i called 911 and all the stuff and then other people came and then i was like okay now this is a safe situation and to be able to go help this person and get something under Mm -hmm. this person's head so she recovered. They position. didn't mm-hmm. smack it if they had another seizure and all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, the first thing I have to think of is I can't get too close. And we are back with stretches picks. Who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? 
I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common-sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com because life is expensive enough. It's sad that we have to think that way, but unfortunately, a lot of the things that society has allowed to happen, that's the way it's self-protectiveness. Yeah. Am I going to have yeah. to change the way I think, yeah. Catherine? Um, no, yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this because your mother knows, she's seen it a few times, that I cannot stand there and watch some guy punching a woman. I can't do it. I can't. There's no way I could let that guy do that. No way. Well, the best thing yeah, to no, do, I, I, I think, either. is car- carry around mace and squirt him in the face. I don't yeah. know. You're going to hit the yeah. uh, other person then, though. Well, I think that but they'd rather be, be maced. Yeah, I'd rather beat. be maced than killed. Yeah, I suppose. Or beat to yeah. a pulp. You yeah, know? yeah, have brain damage, lasting yeah. effects, yes. Well, right. but then, you know, you're going to get sued for macing someone. And well, my mace, don't know where it came from. Charge you with a hate crime, et cetera, Throw et it in the river when you're done with it. <laughs> what? what? Mace who? I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. I know. I, well, see, that's, yeah, I know. That's the other thing. It's like you don't even know what rights you have to help somebody anymore. Technically, you have, you have the right to try and help someone, and you're not liable if you do, but the guy attacking you can still sue you. He'll get a God, public defender. The state will back him, and he'll ruin you. You know who you guys should have on your show that we've been watching? You should have a... The sheriff, Sheriff uh, Bob Fletcher. Oh, yeah, Bob Fletcher. Oh, my Fletcher. goodness. You yeah. guys should have him on. Have you been watching his live on patrol? No, but I like Bob Fletcher. Oh, my goodness. You should. Every Friday and Saturday night, he does a live on patrol where he and, okay, I forget the guy that rides with him, but they, they just they ride around in the squad and they stop at, you know, they talk about a lot of stuff and they stop at, like, different you know they may come upon like a crime or something that i would sometimes he goes live on facebook but usually it's youtube on friday and saturday oh, YouTube. Okay. and he said well and he said on the facebook live because he popped up last night he was going through and i popped in and watched for a minute and he said somebody made a comment about in the comment section about um you know, is he going to come up on any crime tonight? And he said to his, the guy that was riding with him, he says, you know, he says, it's funny somebody had mentioned that. It was because we, he says, I have been told by some of the, um, I can't remember what, what word he used for troublemakers, but he said that when they hear that we're going live on patrol in St. Paul, they head over to Minneapolis. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he actually has statistics. They yep. have statistics that show that when they're doing live on patrol in St. Paul, those hours, crime is higher in Minneapolis yep. for those crimes. 
Yeah, these people really, really keep a close eye on where the cops are, what they do, their patterns, all the rest of it. And exactly what you're saying, they move away from that area and go to another area. Right. Yeah, when, when you listen to them talk, though, about, uh, you know, they talk about wanting uh, police to be more interactive with the community. Oh, my goodness. You should see him talk to people. He, he has an incredible way. We have watched him so many times de-escalate situations yeah. just by calm words and, you know, no shouting. He needs to, you know, we need to look toward people like him to teach you know, teach other people how to de-escalate, how to approach it, how to know your community. Because that's the other thing. A lot of a lot of people don't, quote-unquote, know their communities. And so, you know, you're kind of just in this little corner by yourself, and bad things will happen. But Bob makes an effort. I mean, he's the sheriff, and he's out riding around, meeting the community. He knows a lot of people. And, you know, both on both sides of the law. And he's just, he's very, I feel really good watching him knowing that there's police out there like him because he really, really is one who is making a difference in his small corner of the world. Yeah, I'm hoping, and it kind of appears to me, there was a truck in front of me yesterday that had a big bumper sticker on it that said, defend the police. They had the defund on there crossed off, and it said, defend the police. I think we've turned that corner. I think people have realized, you get rid of the police, you're Mm going to get killed. I mean, there are some psychopaths. The people that are the loudest loudest about getting rid of the police, a lot of them are the ones either committing the crimes or... Having people close to them who are committing the crimes. I agree completely. You know, Look, let's, let's see. Pay, pay attention to the safety of the people that actually live in the communities, and that's everywhere. That's north, all of Minneapolis, you know, North Minneapolis, East St. Paul, it's wherever. The communities need to realize that the people screaming the loudest are the ones that had the most to lose if crime went away. I wonder if it's true that all that whole defund the police thing that happened to people who didn't care for their dad. <laughs> you think, Andy, you think that's part of it? Oh, I think so. I do, too. I, I think, think it, oh, daddy was mean to me, and the cops are my dad now, so I hate them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. They hate well, their dad, so they hate authority. You yep. know, and, and what we need to start implementing, and maybe this is just me, but um, what I have noticed is that there really isn't a lot of long-term health care, you know, long-term mental health care facilities anymore. I mean, obviously, since, you know, Reagan opened the doors to them in the 80s, not the brightest move. Right. These people are just, like, out and about. And you see the homeless encampments in St. Paul, which are disgusting because we've driven by them and watched people shooting up, like, not even paying oh, yeah. attention to oh, watching absolutely. them. Just shooting up and drinking and all the stuff I would get arrested for if I did, um, which I don't even know how to shoot up, so whatever. That's a but, good thing. Um, That's a good thing, yeah. yes. <laughs> but we we need to start establishing those because when you look at the amount of, especially like teenagers that need mental health, um, sure, you can be put on, I think the longest you can stay in any of the psych wards in the hospitals is two weeks. There oh, really? is no long-term, yeah, yeah, I, I have a friend who I think the longest she stayed in for two weeks, she's bipolar, and she was having an incident, and she, the longest she could stay was two weeks, 
And then they were, they rely on outpatient therapy and rely on patient taking medication. Well, a lot of people don't. I mean, my friend has me to call her every day and remind her. Yeah. And especially with teenagers, there's just between social media and everything else that's out in the public, there's just nothing to help them. And I'm not saying confine them, but they need help. You know, and a lot of these kids come from broken families. No one is helping them. All they need is just an area where they can feel safe. They can get their mental health back together. If it takes a month, great. If it takes six months, also great. If it's longer, we'll work with that too. But you can't just think that somebody's going into a mental health facility for two weeks and they're going to come out perfect. It just does not happen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I just... I wish we could get together and work together instead of just everyone hates everyone else for, for no particular reason. It's just, I heard you're a horrible uh, group of people, therefore I hate you. But why do you want to go through your life hating people? It takes a lot out of you to hate people. Hmm. So it gives them a sense Absolutely. of belonging. It's, it's an easy group to get I into. Guess, yeah, it's an hateful easy, people yeah, like to have more hateful people around them. I guess. I just try to, I try to smile everywhere I go. Like if I'm in the grocery store... I could care less what color you are. I mean, exactly. you know, if there's something you can't reach, I mean, if I were taller, if there's something you can't reach and you happen to be shorter than me, which, you know, it's a small bar to pass, I would be happy to get it for you. Or I would be, you know, I'll be happy to let you, if you have one thing and I have a full cart, of course you can go in front of me. I don't mind. Not me. I, I push mean, them down. I will smile at you and wish you a good day. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It's like, I, I will I will smile at you. I will tell you to have a great day. I will, I mean, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Right, right. I, I prefer to be the reason that people think that there is good in other people after they deal with me. That's Do you think we'll ever get back thing, there? Wendy. Do you think that we'll get back to the you point would? where we could see good in other people again? Or is that just gone I forever? I sure hope so. We got to work, we got to work no. towards that. Everybody has to work towards it, I guess. Can't. Catherine's right. We yeah. need to we need to listen to people that are good to each other. If someone's good to you, you need to listen to them, not the person that's standing over in the corner, like crying about everything that's horrible and that how everybody's horrible. Stick with the good people, and the more good people that stick with each other, the larger the group will be, and we'll be able to, you know, drown out the small voices. I'm waiting for a political party that feels the same way. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. It'd be yeah. nice to have a third, third choice, wouldn't it? The positive Dude, party. I, I would vote I all money, the way. If I had money, I would. If I had money, I would think about writing for it because I have a whole list of things that uh, I would do to the state if I got in. I mean, number one would be audit. Oh yeah. A lot of the, there's a lot of wasted and stolen money in the mm-hmm. state. We'll oh, stop that, and that we could so pay much. for everything that everybody wants. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I, I, one thing I did notice, and, and basically, all these people who are teeing other people up to make money get praised, and all they're doing is is using other people to make money. And then the people actually work like, say, some, not all sports figures, but some sports figures and actors. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you've become famous and make money, people hate you automatically. And I've never understood that. So you like people who use you to make money, but you don't like people who had the talent to make it on their own. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, it is, a, it is a weird conundrum, isn't it? It is. It's just why wouldn't you, why mean, wouldn't you hate the other people who are using you to make that money? 
uh, you know, I, I think sometimes that people that act like that are jealous of people who yeah. have actually worked to get where they are because the people that are jealous and mad about it haven't really, haven't done anything to do that. No, Wendy, you know, I got they're, they're jealous. They want everybody to yes. be even. I got to go with the hard hitting question because we only got a few minutes left in the show here. It was a hard hitting question for you. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at the headlines. Not one, but two stories today in the headlines about furries. Do they exist or not? Well, of course they exist. What, what happened? Oh, good Lord. Furries have been a thing for uh, decades. No, we're talking about the furries that are. Yeah, that, that even. They got the. The poop boxes in the schools and everything for them. Oh, well, that's, I don't know. That's a different thing. Oh. Furries yeah, don't, I, that... really don't actually believe that they are animals. They yeah, that's a different. pretend to yeah. be animals, basically. It's like adult yeah. make-believe. And it, yeah. there's usually, there's usually like an erotic content yes. to Often, it. Because yes. my daughter was, my daughter was saying something about it because she was watching some anime with them. I'm like, what? Is that? Oh, that's <laughs> right. like, she, she explained what it, she explained what it was, and I said, "Kind of sounds like sports mascots." And she's like, "Well, kind of, but these yeah. are creepier and more sexual." Yes, I'm like, "Okay, I did not need to know that today." Was really funny, Wendy. This morning, the first story came out this morning. I can't remember. One of the it's about politicians and the furries. Yeah. There are two articles, and I didn't read either one of them. I saw the headline. The one, the first one this morning said. Uh, blah, 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 running for governor of some state, proven to have been absolutely wrong when he said that there are furries in schools and they have these boxes. It's 100% untrue. And then when I got here about four hours later, uh, I looked up a story and there's a woman running for office in Colorado. I can't remember her name, uh, but she claimed the same thing. And under that, it said, largely proven to be untrue. Mm. So they had to back off that oh, it's absolutely untrue to largely untrue. That's a Minnesota thing. Oh, is it really? Yeah, because Scott, Scott Jensen, yeah. he's running for governor. governor. He he mentioned that there were litter boxes. We weren't going to have litter boxes in schools. Oh, okay. Because that was a thing for a couple of years. People have been talking about the fact that there have been litter boxes in some school districts. Never known if it's true. I've never right. seen a picture yeah. of right. it. I don't yep. know anything about it. Don't want to really know. I don't think it's hygienic in the least. No. And I think if a kid needs to go in a litter box. Going to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If a kid needs a, you know, a litter box to be happy, they need way more than just a litter box. They need a lot of well, psychological help. School is for children, not animals. Exactly. That's true. So, um, anyway, so now the attack ads are against this Jensen guy saying that this is not true. There's never been litter boxes in schools. He's well, that's what they always do. They the always say thing. it's all lies, all conspiracy theories. Well, yeah, well, the Democratic Party has, I don't even know, $22 million in their coffers for yeah, this election, money, yeah. and Jensen has been grassroots, yeah. so he doesn't have a lot of money. So yeah. the attack ads on him are just humongous yeah, right now. And I don't know really anything Ka- about him. Catherine, you do know what this is an example of, right? Uh, okay, Watch the left hand here with some ridiculous thing that is not important and probably not true. Yep. Look at that. Look at that. Be mad at that. But don't look at what the right hand. Yeah, doing. you're right. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, with, with the money and stuff, it's like well, they're it's trying definitely deflection. Yeah, they're they're redirecting from this feeding our future scandal, which is big. Yeah, I mean, it's they're, huge. they keep yeah. on trying to sweep that under yeah. the rug, but it is really mm-hmm. pathetic that we've given away 250 million dollars, and they think it's probably more. Didn't even bother 
they're looking at where it's going. They yeah. don't even know and where it is. And that this all started with the whole daycare scam, mm -hmm. and nothing ever happened with that. And now some uh, state representative got involved with this. Pop Pappas? Is that a woman? Pappas or Papas? Or oh, Sandy Pappas? Yeah. Sandy, okay. She's the one that told them that they had to keep on giving the payments. Right. She yeah. got involved oh, with this mm -hmm. because apparently that's part of her district there, whatever that area yeah. is that wonder, had uh, the wonder, most of it. Wonder did any of it show up in her coffers? They're all every. Uh, who knows if there will be investigations all the way through? Because they you know, won't. people get people are protected from a lot of this stuff. They yeah, can. Yeah, they are. You know, probably a few people well, like will the, go to jail, and the people that were running the show won't. That's usually how it works. Well, it's like the St. Paul School District. They fired their uh, financial. Uh, what is it called? F. Financial officer, their head financial officer. Right. The uh, they fired her, not because she was doing anything wrong, but because she was calling out issues with transparency and some missing money and stuff like that. Oh. Well, she got fired, and then so she yeah, was do, like she, she was she doing didn't her job. She was doing anything wrong. She was actually doing she her job. She was doing her job and oh, calling gosh, it out. Can't have that. And the superintendent fired her, and magically. Shortly after she was fired, there were only two people that were in the running for her job. Magically, a friend of his got that position. Oh, oh there gee, there's a mm. shock. You wonder how that works. Funny right, how Wendy. that works, isn't it? Time, it's time to wrap up the show, Wendy, but we appreciate you calling in, sister. Oh, no problem. I love talking to you guys, too. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the week and weekend. You, too. Thanks Thank very you. much. Before we close the show i should mention that we have a new website oh we yes do. it's still join the family.live that hasn't changed but the website itself is all very different well that's good you can go to what what do you go to join the family.live join the family.live i think tom bernard podcast.com still redirects to it let me make I sure hope so. <laughs> i wish it had stopped redirecting to other places that'd be good well, yeah doesn't. we have to have a little conversation after that what are you talking about it's just something uh, yeah, TomBernardPodcast.com just redirects to jointhefamily.live if you don't want oh, good. to type that for okay, some well, reason. that's good. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Uh, as I said, the first story I saw this morning, I can't remember which guy it was, but talking about this furries in school rumors, and they said it's absolutely 100% not true. Well, we'll close with this. Here we go again with the furry, uh, furries in schools rumors. Heidi Ganahl, or Ganahl, or I think it's Ganahl, a GOP candidate for governor in Colorado, is spreading the largely debunked claim largely so it went from it's absolutely not true to largely debunked i mean i think it's massively overblown and it's a distraction i agree i mean if this happened this probably happened what five times in the last three four years there's a lot of things to worry about other than no i agree dumb with you. twitter crap I agree 100%, but why do they say it's 100% untrue and then come back a few hours later and say it's largely? It's what they do about everything. I know. It's Literally true. everything. I really is wish a they wouldn't do that. Alt-right Nazi conspiracy theory until it's proven true, and then it's not that big a deal. And then when it's proven to be a big deal, then they were against it all along. Oh, yeah, then all of a sudden they're on the other side. See, also right. defund the police. Yeah. All right, that is going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.